evening. It's wonderful to see everyone tonight. You know, I was at a restaurant this week, and I tasted the water. It just didn't seem right. Finally, I had them bring me some more water. It still didn't seem right. So finally, my wife got out her Dr. Hydrogen bottle and dumped it in there. <laughs> yeah, just right. <laughs> oh. Well, it's time to get it over to a guy who never misses his hydrogen water. It's Dr. John with the Technology Spotlight. There's been a lot of talk recently about whether or not we spend too much time staring at our phones and our screens and everything. Maybe the solution is to get our eyes off of our screens and get our screens on our eyes. Oh, yeah, so uh, I want to show you a new technology that is a smart contact. It's a lot like a normal contact, but it goes in your eye, and then you can actually see a screen on top of whatever else you're looking at. Pretty amazing stuff. This is from a startup called Mojo Vision, and they announced it at CES, and it's still a couple years out from being ready for you to start wearing but it's pretty amazing stuff. And um, inside, they actually have a really, really teensy display that is 14,000 pixels per inch. In comparison, the really advanced smartphones that are super high quality screens are more like 300 pixels per inch. You know? So this is like super, super high, high uh, definition when you're talking about squeezing it into a little spot because it's so close to your eye that uh, it makes a really big difference. And on the other hand, where would you put it if it was any bigger, right? <laughs> and uh, if you look at this image, you can see how there's a little teeny dot. That's actually the high density display. And some of you may know that your eye actually has a little blind spot right in the middle that uh, your mind kind of edits out. You have two eyes, and so you don't even notice it. And so. Theoretically, that screen right there in the middle will just kind of disappear, and then it'll project onto the inside of your eye, and you'll be able to see this image. So the first big application that they're hoping to use this for is people who have low vision, you know, where they can see barely, and uh, it's pretty hard uh, to live like that. But with one of these contacts, it's going to draw the lines around objects around you and make it so it's really easy for you to see them. And so that can make a really huge difference. Oh, and did I mention, notice how all of those objects are green? That high density screen is monochrome. For those of you too, too young to know what that means, it means that it's only one color. <laughs> the little, oh, little thing they still gotta work out, right? We want the full color. <laughs> uh, but then uh, if that goes well, in that application, then they're going to expand it for things, you know, like maybe a heads-up display where you can see information about what's going on because they already have built into this a motion sensor so it can detect when your eye moves and they have a image sensor so it can kind of see what's going on and then uh, also they have, well, they're integrating a little teeny battery. And the idea is you're supposed to be able to wear this during the day and then take them out and clean them like you always have to do with contacts, right? <laughs> and then put them in the little case where they charge overnight. 
So that's the idea. And then um, maybe some augmented reality will be possible where uh, while you're wearing this, you can look up at the sky and it'll show you the constellations and things like that. So it'd be a lot of really neat things. A lot of the same kind of things that uh, we can do with uh, AR headsets. Remember you wear the big headset, but those just don't look as cool, you know, this big thing on your head. So maybe this will catch on. There are some issues like some of you who wear contacts probably notice that that's kind of a big contact. It's a special kind that covers the whole eye. Well, they had to make it that big because they're having a hard time fitting everything in that little device. Uh, but if you think about it, computers used to be pretty big too. So <laughs> we'll give them a little bit of time. Maybe they'll shrink it down just a bit. And uh, who knows, maybe someday we'll all have our phones right inside our contacts. What are we going to call them? iPhones, maybe? <laughs> well, that name's taken, but <laughs> well, that's all the tech we have the time for. Thank you. All right, now it's time for Breakthroughs in Science with Tobias. Okay. <clears throat> well, I'm really excited tonight because we're going to talk about a, actually a really rare metal, you could say. Um, it's, it's been known as the elusive metal, been called that before, and actually I'm super excited because um, I was able to get an artifact tonight. I have to return it when I'm done, but let me get it here. So, um, <laughs> let me I think that's how it goes. Um, now, besides making me extremely popular at my daughter's tea parties, um, <laughs> this crown, now this seems like, what? Okay, this is something, you know, maybe you got from covering your lunch and you made a crown out of it. Well, this aluminum is actually something that, if we went back in time, would be so rare that if you had this, you would have the only aluminum metal. Like, this is it. That's how rare it was. And basically, what, what we had, you know, we know that aluminum is a metal now, but at the time, hundreds of years ago, aluminum was something that was not known as a metal. You couldn't go out and find nuggets of aluminum, okay? People didn't, unless you were like picking up garbage at the side of the road and got pop cans. Um, but nobody panned for aluminum. And that's because it wasn't in that state, that ore or that, those nuggets like other metals. What was it? It was more of if you were going to look for aluminum, you're looking for basically a, a clay because it was mixed in with other chemical compounds, uh, things like different kinds of alum, um, aluminum oxide. So there was no aluminum, and yet it was everywhere. In fact, they say about 8% of the entire crust of the planet is aluminum, and yet it's nowhere because the metal's nowhere. And it was used, aluminum oxide, for example, was used for clay, for pottery by indigenous people all the time, and yet there, there was something more hiding inside of it. And basically, the aluminum was trapped with other particles. So what started to happen is there was a theory that was brought forth that this, this alum stuff, this aluminum, is a salt of something. Basically, if it could be refined, we would find that there's a metal. There's a metal here that we could, basically, if we could get everything else out. Now, that gets pretty challenging. And one of the big challenges of that is things like oxygen. Um, oxygen loves aluminum. In fact, when uh, you have alum aluminum, al you know, there's al aluminum, which is how other people say it. 
other, anyway, so if I go aluminum, I'd be about it. It's aluminum, okay? But <clears throat> oxygen grabs to aluminum. In fact, that's what, I mean, aluminum oxide, that's what it is. It's aluminum, but there's oxygen mixed in. So much so, the aluminum cannot escape. It's like, and it's three to two, okay? three oxygens and two aluminums, and those oxygens are not letting go. And so that's one of the challenges. How do you get that aluminum away from the oxygen? And if you get oxygen, this aluminum oxide, pure, and dry it out, I mean, it's this powder. It's a white powder. We can look at this uh, picture here. Down on the bottom right, that's aluminum oxide. And people knew about that, but that's not a metal. And so one of the first challenges was how do we refine this? Well, Hans Christian Oersted in 1825 was the first one to really get aluminum. And it was a huge process that he went about doing this. And he got little flakes of aluminum. So tiny little flakes of this. And it was not nearly as pure, but it was the metal. And it was a big breakthrough. Well, it took years for them to work on that and to refine that process until finally they started getting more of it. And you know, the other question is, well, where do we get this aluminum oxide that we're going to refine into aluminum? And in the 1800s, decades later, a discovery was made that uh, this, this certain kind of clay, bauxite, had aluminum oxide in it that you could refine out of it. And if you look at this picture again, that really clay dirt, that's that material. And you could get that aluminum oxide out of that dirt. But how are you going to refine it? And this is the big question. This is what made it so rare, is how do you refine it? In fact, it was so rare that you know, when you, started, you start refining it, and there was a lot of stuff going on with it in France, um, one of the scientists there started working for um, Napoleon III to make weapons. And they were going to try and make weapons out of this aluminum. And unfortunately, he was never able to produce enough um, to you know, get a whole army geared up. In fact, not even near. And so they canceled that project. It was so rare that in, um, 18, in the late 1800s, if you look at this, this painting and this picture, th this is the Washington Monument. And when they were finishing it, they decided to put a cap on the top. And so they put a cap on of aluminum. And you know that gives you a feel for how rare this was. To be able to get that much, it was five pounds of aluminum. Um, if you imagine that most people at the time were getting little flakes and pieces, and they put that much together for it. It was a big deal. And I have to show this painting of Napoleon III, because when his plans for the weapons failed, he had them make that aluminum into silverware, and he had it at his place. And when he would entertain important guests, he would use the aluminum silverware, and they had to use gold. <laughs> so, <clears throat> you know, I'm, I'm thinking I'll just, if I get a time machine, I'm just going to walk right in there and go, Whoosh. you know, VIP. <laughs> um, but, you know, that tells you it's super, super rare, but it's everywhere. If someone can just crack the code, well, the code was cracked in 1889 by two guys on different continents in the same year. So they both had this breakthrough. And these, these two gentlemen, Paul and Charles, and they had the idea of using electricity. And basically, they would send an electric charge through that aluminum oxide, and the electricity, the power of the electrons, would be so strong that they discovered that it 
broke the bonds of the oxygen and the aluminum. So basically, and this is still how we do it today, you take molten aluminum oxide and you put it in a container and they lower a cathode and shoot a really powerful um, current through it. The, uh, the aluminum and the oxygen pull apart and the aluminum is heavier, it falls and the oxygen floats to the top. And that is how they were able to separate it. All of a sudden, boom, the price just went down. All of a sudden, you could mass produce this in ways you could never do it. And it was everywhere. So all of a sudden, this turned into a booming business. Um, in some places, it said that a kilo, a kilogram of aluminum was over $1,000. And, you know, of course, that went to a kilogram less than $1. Um, hope you didn't invest in aluminum. Um, but, you know, so it's, it's, not, it's not important. I mean, it became really cheap, right? Well, actually, no. Aluminum today is one of the most important metals. Um, if you think about it, aluminum, we know it's light. It's very light for, you know, for being a metal. It's also very strong for how light it is. Um, the Wright brothers were trying to make an engine for their airplane, and they ended up actually making their engine out of aluminum because it was so light, and they were trying to get things lighter. They actually painted it black so nobody knew it was aluminum. Um, but if you look, at, look here, we've got you know, the classic soda cans. We've got many, many different building parts out of aluminum. Up in the top right, NASA used aluminum all over the place inside of their shuttles. And of course, airplanes use aluminum. Lightweight aluminum is so important and a game changer. And it's, it's actually, I mean, if you think about it, every single day, we really can't go through a day without using aluminum because it's everywhere in our world. So really something that's been sitting there for years, generations, centuries, and millennia, and then all of a sudden with a breakthrough of how to get it out changed everything. So you never know. Something really, really important might be, well, still really important, but, you know, very available. Thank you. <laughs> Now introducing Dr. Roger Billings. <laughs> Didn't Page come today? <laughs> Oh, you can't see me. You're in my blind spot. <laughs> right in the middle of your eye. I'm glad you are you here? I'm, I'm so really glad am. you came because um, a lot of the students are really anxious to hear about your science fair project. Well, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> would you mind sharing it with us? <laughs> I would mind. <laughs> if it's a science fair project, it can't be private. It has to be. I mean, be because you know, you've got to publish your results. <laughs> I didn't know I was doing a science fair project. Well, of course you are. Have, you got, a, have you got a science fair project? No. Not to worry. I brought one for you. <laughs> <laughs> yep, That's here it is. There, there's my science fair project. Page A science fair project. <laughs> look at that bag and And as you and can everything. see, look, it's, it's still sealed. Wow. And so if you're going to unlock the secrets of nature, you're going to have to open the back. Should I be concerned? Oh, I, <laughs> I wouldn't. 
I would. If I were you. No, just, it's not hard. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Good. Okay, so now, in order to have a science fair project, you have to have a question that you want to answer. I do. And no, what is my science fair project is not a good question. <laughs> Shucks. No, it's not. Uh, it's not, okay. So if you reach in here, you'll notice you got a piece of paper. You can just pull that out. That'll give you a good idea for your question. This is your uh, hypothesis. No, it's a question you want to answer. And uh, do you want to show everybody that this is actually handwritten? I love that oxygen word. Well, we, we had a problem with our printer. <laughs> and as you can see, anyway, would you like to read it for us? <clears throat> Does oxygen support life? Yes. That is a good question. It's a wonderful question. And how can we find out? <laughs> I, my mind went really bad places. Did it go bad places? Yeah. <laughs> the bag's not empty. I'm concerned. <laughs> Do you want to reach in here? <laughs> no. I won't. She's chicken. So I will I'll, reach in there. <laughs> I will just help her out. <laughs> now, you know what this is. It's I a do. box, right? I do know what that is. And it's a box that has a little living critter in it. I, I know that, too. And you know that, too. Now, she knows about this because she's already opened this box. <laughs> I have. And I knew I couldn't get her to do it again. So I will open it for her. Are you ready? Now keep your eye on the box. It's not very nice. See the little critter? Okay. So we've got a little critter here. There he is. Can you see the little critter? The spider. Cute little critter, isn't he? Okay. There he goes. There he goes. He's gone. All right. Now, <clears throat> this critter is in a box which is airtight. Wow. I love tools, but what are we doing? Well, if, if we're going to give him oxygen, <laughs> we're going to have to make a hole to let the oxygen in the box. But we can't do that because we don't have a hypothesis. What is your hypothesis? If there was a hole mm -hmm. and oxygen gone, got in the box, would he be okay? Yes, that's my hypothesis. Your hypo well, go ahead and tell everybody. I think if there were a hole, if there was a hole in there, then he would have air and he would survive. And I don't think I want to put a hole in there because I don't want him to survive. <laughs> <laughs> I like him where he is. <laughs> Can you edit that part out? <laughs> okay. I'll tell you what. I'll hold the box while you drill. You want me to put a hole in your box? He wants some oxygen. Right there, please. Okay. Oh, it's going backward. <laughs> Which way is it? She is an engineer, and she doesn't I know don't know how, how to, to switch run it. your tool. Mm -hmm. is that My right? tool? No. That changes the speed. <laughs> okay. 
We're, we're going to pick this up next week. Okay, we're good now. There we go. Let's so see which way buttons. it's turning. Okay, that's backwards. Well, I'm not All right, look right down by the trigger. See this little button right that's there? That's what I pushed. Okay, push it the other way. There you go. Now try it. Let's Still. see. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you really want me to do it? Do you see her hair blow? <laughs> we're going to name this little guy Harry. He has, he has hairy legs. Okay, he does. Here we go. You really want me to do that? In your box. This is science. Be serious about it. Okay. Yes? Mm -hmm. I'm afraid. I don't know. Don't, don't hit Harry. Will he scream? Mm -hmm. <laughs> now this proves that ladies can do science fair projects. This. Not so deep, not so deep. <laughs> it's easier to pull it out if you make it run while you pull it out. Don't, you don't need to back it off. We'll just, look, look, look. Beautiful. We have a nice air hole here, and he should be more lively than ever. Should we try him? Are you ready? Oh. <laughs> yes, he's very lively. It's okay. good. Okay. So what are your conclusions? He's still alive and the, the oxygen worked. But he was alive before we I made know. the hole. <laughs> I suggest you keep working on your project <laughs> and we continue next, next week, okay? But you know, I think she's starting to get the idea. Actually, she's done some pretty amazing projects over the years. Uh, hey, how's everybody doing tonight? Are you staying warm? In this part of the world, it's very cold tonight. We have big snow drifts all over around the Cellus Tower. And uh, last week we were looking at a lot of the comments coming in, and thank you for sending us those comments. Uh, Dr. Monet is actually monitoring those right now. <laughs> <laughs> See? Um, but one of the comments said, I'm watching you clear from the other side of the world. And I realize a lot of students that are actually with us tonight are suffering from a lot of heat. And just want you to know that if you need cold, we'll send you some. They but, think we're hilarious. Uh, we are hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I want to I go back to Tobias for a minute. Uh, this uh, iPhone is really neat, Dr. John, thank you. But Tobias, the aluminum thing. Um, aluminum is a metal that we should say a few things about. Uh, Turns out that you do produce aluminum by pulling the aluminum atom away from oxygen. And you do that by electrolysis process. But the, the interesting thing is that uh, aluminum will not dissolve in something like water so that you can use electrolysis to pull apart. And that's the reason that it was so hard to produce because no one could figure out how to get it in solution into a liquid. And then the, the breakthrough discovery was finding out what aluminum oxide is soluble in. 
Now, do you know what I mean by soluble? If you take salt, put it in a cup of water and stir it, the salt will dissolve and disappear because salt is soluble, and you know this, in water, okay? <laughs> but there are some things that will not dissolve in water, and aluminum oxide is one. So the challenge was finding something that would dissolve in. Did you know that charcoal won't dissolve in water either? I didn't know that. In fact, there's only a few things that you can use to dissolve <coughs> carbon or graphite, which is most of what charcoal is. And one of the main things that it can be dissolved in is molten iron. Now, if you have some of that around the house, <laughs> that'd be pretty handy. Mm -hmm. But uh, what do you think is the magic stuff that made it possible to dissolve aluminum oxide or aluminum salt? And I'm not going to tell you. You're not going to tell me. I, I'm going to let you do that as a homework thing. Anybody that can find the answer to that and send it to me will be on their way to becoming a great scientist tonight. Okay. But it's really neat. Just finding out what you could dissolve it in made it so we could produce all this aluminum. Most of the power lines that are carrying power between our cities and even in the walls in our homes and our buildings and our schools is either copper or aluminum. And there's a lot of aluminum cables. Copper carries power better than aluminum, which means it has less resistance. But copper is heavier and quite a bit more expensive. Aluminum is so much lighter that for the weight, it carries about the same. So people use aluminum or copper as their wires, depending on where the market price happens to be at the time, whichever one is better. And I think that's kind of neat. But here's the thing that I think is really fascinating about aluminum. It is very reactive. Tobias was telling us that all of the aluminum on the earth was in non-metallic form. And that's because it had all been gobbled up by oxygen, like he said. But the thing that he didn't mention is just how strong the, the tie is between oxygen and aluminum. If you took a piece of aluminum and dropped it in a glass of water, it would start reacting so fast that it would bubble around and catch on fire, like sodium does. If you take the metal sodium, pure sodium, you have to keep it under oil because if you put it in the air, it'll react. If you drop it in water, it'll, it'll react so fast, it bursts into flame. And aluminum is the same way because it reacts so fast. And some of you are saying, well, wait a minute. I've actually seen aluminum get wet and it didn't catch on fire. <laughs> Why? Why do you think it didn't catch on fire if it reacts that fast? Does anybody know? The Wright brothers didn't want everybody to know their secret. So when they made an engine out of aluminum, what'd they do to hide it? They painted it black. Well, it turns out that aluminum paints itself. So you take a piece of aluminum, you drop it in water, it immediately reacts 
and it forms a painting coating around the outside that's called aluminum oxide paint. That very, very thin coating of aluminum oxide is so thin, it still just looks like metal. We've probably never seen aluminum. You've seen aluminum if you took a knife and scraped it off and you saw it for just a second before it reacted again and painted itself with oxygen and became aluminum oxide. And aluminum oxide is such a good paint that no more water can get through. We make window sills out of aluminum. Now, granted, the aluminum works a little better if we run it through a special process called anodizing that makes it even less corrosive. But just the aluminum oxide protects aluminum so that it's a very stable metal, even though it isn't. It's kind of neat. It's kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm one of those personalities you might think of as a little bit corrosive. <laughs> you know, I like to react. <laughs> and see, that's why Dr. Monet is here, because Peugeot, you know, she isolates me. <laughs> I'm a non-reactive species? That's not true. <laughs> I didn't say species. Person? This, uh, this has nothing to do with alien status or anything like that. <laughs> I'm just saying that I'm very grateful for you. You're very smart, actually. You're very smart. See what I mean? <laughs> so, so you but, have some answers coming in. Okay, I want to hear them just a second. But before those answers get read, I, I really think it's neat to realize that aluminum, if you can think of aluminum atoms as a person, like you got Peugeot, you got Lumine, <laughs> if, if you think of aluminum as okay. a person, it's a person that realizes that it's got an overly aggressive personality. Like Peugeot. And so, <laughs> and so <laughs> it coats itself with a thin, very, very thin coating to pre prevent it from corroding away. Otherwise, it just all corrode away and it'd be gone. And if aluminum went away, a lot of other things would go away. In fact, I don't know how we could build our airliners without aluminum. Now, some people uh, would, that have a little bit of engineering, like Peugeot might say, well, what about titanium? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it's nice to talk about titanium when you're talking about aluminum because it's the other metal that makes airplanes possible. Titanium is one of my favorite metals. I use titanium in my electrolyzers that make hydrogen in my fuel cells that use hydrogen to power cars. Uh, how many of you knew that this, this upcoming Olympics, they're going to have the, the Olympic flame be a hydrogen flame? <laughs> Yeah, people are realizing more and more that using hydrogen as a fuel is where it's got to go. It's the only fuel known to man that when you burn it, all it makes is water vapor. You burn hydrogen, it turns into water. There's no carbon, greenhouse gas, there's just water. That's Very really neat. neat. Yeah. All right. But titanium yeah. is a metal that I also used to store hydrogen as a metal hydride. Titanium and iron combined 
store very, very large amounts of hydrogen, so it's a neat metal. But in airplanes, we use titanium for the frame, for the part that has to be really strong, because for the weight, for a certain amount of weight, it's much stronger than steel. Steel's too heavy for airplanes. And so you, know, you, you build an airplane and make the frame all out of steel, it would probably still fly, but you wouldn't be able to have any passengers because you couldn't lift all that weight. And maybe you'd be able to have some passengers, but you wouldn't be able to bring your bag. <laughs> Why do you look at me like that? It's my blind spot. <laughs> anyway, okay, so we're still trying to figure out what material, is it water, is it acid, what is the way we could dissolve Iron, uh, aluminum ore, aluminum oxide, to be able to electrolyze it and make aluminum. And do you have an answer? I have a few. You have a few? Uh -huh. well, maybe there's a few things. What are they? Uh, quite a few of them say citric acid. Citric acid. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Vinegar. Vinegar. And nonpolar diethyl ether ethanol. Hmm. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, tell us, tell us, tell us. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> nope. We'll let them work on that. But you know, just figuring out how you can dissolve aluminum oxide revolutionized the world. It just changed so many things. And it was a discovery that people were looking for for a long time. And then someone found it and everything changed. And there are so many discoveries like that made every day, every year. And it's exciting to think that we are empowering ourselves to be able to make discoveries like that. I think it's really exciting. Uh, in Acellus, we, we teach math, science, engineering, programming, a lot of different things. And the science fair is a place where we get a chance to try and apply those things. And I, I really would like to come back to this wonderful experiment. By the way, if, if you don't have one of these, you might want to consider making one. It doesn't need to be a wood box, it could be a cardboard box. But it's just really fun. When someone has never seen it before, and you say, guess what's in here? And they open it up. It's not cool. And this little, <laughs> this little critter, you know, he just comes shooting right out. You see that? He's kind of alive. But if you look carefully, there's just a curved piece of wire. And it's just connected to this door. So when I pull it, the wire comes shooting up. And it's at an angle where it looks like, whoa just come shooting up. So you ought to make one of these, but you know, this is where we get to the lesson about mean teas. Yeah, I like to hear this one. <laughs> Tonight, I was going to make Angel, I mean, Dr. Monet open this. And then what? <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> but I realized that while I would get a good laugh out of it, that it might really be me. It might really hurt her feelings. And you know, there's a tease that is fun, and a, a fun tease is when everybody gets to enjoy it and laugh. And then there's a mean tease where somebody's a victim. And if someone isn't looking at this and it scares them half to death, that's not nice. 
is it? And so tonight I'm proud of myself. <laughs> I really learned a lesson the first time I did that to her. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and thank goodness it wasn't on camera. <laughs> and thank goodness it was on camera. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. It okay. was. Part of it was. I, uh, I, I want to just take a time out and talk about that for a minute because uh, there are so many things we do that we really wouldn't if we just stop and think how it would impact someone. It, it's really fun to tell a story that everyone looks at and they laugh and they really enjoy it and we all have a great time. Mm -hmm. And yet it's so easy to tell another story where someone laughs but someone gets hurt. Mm -hmm. And if if the only way you can make humor is at the expense of someone's feelings, then it'd be better if you didn't. And I, I love the idea of a world where everybody cares about everybody. That's the kind of world that, uh, that we really ought to be striving to make. And, you know, I don't control the whole world. In fact, sometimes I have a hard time even controlling my own little world. But that's something that I'm really striving for. And I'd like to ask all of you students to think about things that way. And there's, there's actually two halves to this, this question. You want to tell them about the two halves? <laughs> that was, was a that mean, mean tease. tease. That's what I was wondering. I kind of put her on the spot with an answer. But, but there are two halves. One half is when you say something that makes a laugh but hurts somebody's feelings. But there's the other half, too, and that is when someone says something and you let your feelings get hurt. Yeah. And I found out that we don't have to be so sensitive. I mean, there are things that people say that they shouldn't, and it really does hurt our feelings. But... It's possible to, to develop the ability of not letting that hurt you. It's kind of like putting your own coating of aluminum oxide over you. Water would destroy you, but you won't let it in. You just won't let it in. You don't get mad. You don't get hurt. And you should. They, they were rude, but you don't care. And you don't care because you've decided that you're going to be a happier person, live a better life by not caring. And so for your own sake and your own benefit, you're not going to let them do that to you. And I, I bring that up tonight because uh, a lot of our students are reporting that uh, they've kind of been, well, the, the popular word today is bullied. They've been bullied. And I wish bullying would go away. I wish everybody would stop doing anything that's mean to anybody else. And I'm going to keep being a voice to encourage that. But while everybody is getting through with that improper practice, I think we can learn how to endure it. And until this is a, a perfect world, there's going to be things that are are going to happen that are going to hurt your feelings. 
And you're going to be more successful if you will develop the skill of not letting it get to you. And how do you do that? Well, everybody's different. And I've had my feelings hurt many, many times. I've had a lot of people say things that, that really have hurt. But the key is to decide that you're not going to, and then to practice it. And I, I, I just really feel impressed that that's how this all begins. And here's something I've noticed in my own life and even in the lives of others. It seems like there are certain people that get bullied more than their share. I mean, no one has a share to get bullied. No one should ever get bullied. But some get bullied more than others. And so I kind of studied that. And here's the interesting thing that I've observed. The more that bullying upsets you, it seems like the more likely they are to bully you. You ever notice that? The one that it hurts the most is the one that gets bullied. And so even if it's hard for you, if you can get through it, they just may get bored and go away. You might actually be able to stop a bully by just not letting them get to you. Work on that. It's hard. It's really hard. You shouldn't have to. It's not fair. But it's something to try. It's something to try. Um, I can say more on that, and I will, because I think it's an important subject. And we've been talking about it for our, our course that uh, Peugeot is teaching. Uh, by the way, the new uh, uh, emotional social course is coming out mm. for middle school when? Right away. Like within the next week. Yeah. And then the one for high school, it's, it's dragging its, it's coming. <laughs> but, but it's coming too. It's going to be good. We've really, uh, we've heard good reviews. The elementary one's out, the new one. Uh, I want to thank uh, your parents, any of you that... Uh, you know, do me a favor. Let your parents know that I really appreciate the feedback we've gotten from the first emotional social course. We've got a lot of good feedback, and we have tried to incorporate that in the new courses, and I think they're substantially more powerful and, and better. Yeah. So, uh, do we have any more answers on how do you dissolve 95% ethanol is one of the answers. Okay. Are you going to tell us? I'm, I'm, if you get it, I'll tell you. <laughs> Come on, guys. I learned the answer to this question when I was in the 11th grade taking a high school chemistry class. By experimentation? And Yeah, I just invented it. No. <laughs> no. My, my wonderful uh, chemistry teacher, Mr. Bench, taught us, and we had a whole chapter on it in our chemistry book. And you should be able to find it by Googling what is aluminum oxide soluble in. But anyway, a question like this is just a simple question. It could be a science fair project. And yet the person that uh, came up with that... Uh, that breakthrough, the persons that came with that breakthrough changed the world and became quite successful. Uh, one of the presidents of Alcoa Aluminum was a close friend of mine. Uh, he's passed away now. 
but he was the one that told me about the Washington Monument, and uh, they made the aluminum that went on the point that, jo that Tobias showed us in his slide. And he said they put it on the top of the monument because at that time aluminum, aluminum was more precious than gold. And it's kind of interesting. And then someone asked a question. Well, if we could dissolve it in something, then we could electrolyze it. And it's abundant. Then all of a sudden it'd be very, very affordable. And they did, and it changed the world. And that's, that's the way ideas can work and the kind of things we can do. All right, now we'll turn the time over to Peje. <laughs> I have the whole floor, the whole table? Yes, I'm going to decide your way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wasn't prepared for that screwdriver. And some of the students think I really should know how to run one. All right, let's I, go I over that. Do. <laughs> this You're gonna teach me? is a drill. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. It's a very powerful one. Down here we it's have a nice. battery, uh -huh. right? And, and you know, um, guys love tools. A lot of guys really, really love tools, don't we, guys? Um, I collect tools. Um, when I became a father, um, my child was a girl, <laughs> and um, so for her first uh, birthday, I got her some tools. You really did, didn't you? Yes. And it's like my, getting a train set for them. My, my lovely <laughs> wife said, what? <laughs> you know, she might need them. But uh, it's, it's fascinating. You know, tools can do amazing things. Uh, and the last point I want to make tonight is about tools, and then I'm going to draw a parallel here. My father told me that you always want to use the right tool for the right job. And that's why I have such a vast collection of tools. Because you do so many things. Oh, I love tools. <laughs> and you know... They are clever, and they give you power to do things you could never do yourself. Mm -hmm. That's true. I love it when somebody comes in with a bottle that cannot be opened. <laughs> I can open it. Do you use your hand tool? I have bottle opening tools. <laughs> yes, I do. But in this particular case, we've got a, uh, a battery in the base, which is removable and can be charged on a charger. Just pull it off. Batteries have gotten so much better in the last 10 years, 15 years. Um, electric cars, a lot of the things going on have really accelerated good batteries. And now batteries are so good and so powerful we can do things like mow your lawn with an electric lawnmower without a, without a cord, which is amazing. Uh, we have electrics power saws and things, and I have an electric drill. Now, blue's my favorite color. <laughs> Everybody should have favorite color. When I was young, I didn't know how you got them. <laughs> and so I Your asked someone, color? and they said, yeah, they said you can just pick one. <laughs> so I picked blue, and that's, that's my favorite color. And uh, so I went to the store, and I looked and looked and looked until I found a set of tools that are blue. And then I got blue everything, blue screwdrivers, everything. Okay, so this is a this is a nice little tool. There is a very powerful motor in here. Besides batteries suddenly getting much better, 
and we're very fortunate for that, motors got much better. Uh, who can tell me why electric motors are so much more powerful now than they were just years ago? Andrew, why would you say electric motors are so much better? Do you know? Would you like to know? Well, let me tell you then. It's because of rare earth magnets. You love magnets, and you know what rare earth magnets are, don't you? Rare earth is a uh, group of elements that are found, for example, out in the desert by Las Vegas and other places. And they're, they're rare, so we call them rare earths, and it's, it's a family. But when you make magnets out of these special materials, the magnets are much stronger than the ones I played with when I was young. And because you can put stronger, smaller magnets in a little motor, and since it's magnetic forces that push against an electromagnet that turn a motor, makes motors much more powerful and smaller, which is kind of neat. You see, I've got a little drill. Hi. Hi. Still my blind spot. <laughs> I've got a little drill here. Think of the technology that went into that. We needed to have a metal that you could sharpen and it would stay hard. It has to be harder than just plain old steel. Somebody found out that if you took certain alloys of steel, melted them together, and then if you were to heat them up red hot and quench them in water or in oil, that they would get very hard. It's called tempering. There's just so much technology that goes in this. And this little tip, when you screw it, it gets smaller. When you unscrew it, it gets bigger. I can stick my drill in, I screw it down, and it grabs the drill bit. Somebody invented that. Some very, very clever person. And if you start looking at it, there are so many good ideas in here. This drill has variable speeds. It also has a built-in hammer drill. Hammer drill? Do you girls all know about that? A hammer drill is kind of a neat thing. If I were to just uh, flip the switch here, this can go from a drill to a hammer drill just by turning it down. See if you can hear the difference. You say, no. Yep, that's it, that's the hammer drill. And what happens in the hammer drill mode as it's turned around, it hits against it. You say, well, why would you want to do that? The answer is, in case you're drilling something like concrete. If you need to put a hole in cement or in concrete, put a, a concrete drill in, put it in the hammer drill mode, and it'll go right in. And it kind of hammers it as it drills. Tools are wonderful. And with them, we could do things we could never do without. Knowledge is the best tool set. You think about it, isn't that really what knowledge is? Math is a whole toolbox. <laughs> the things you can do with mathematics. Division, algebra one, geometry, trig, calculus. I asked someone the other day that had been taking some geometry and then got into trig and I said so what is a sign anyway 
Because in trig, we learn about sines, cosines, tangents, arctangents. What is it? And it was interesting because he didn't know yet. And it's such a neat thing when you really figure out what it is. A lot of people go through the class, they use them, but they never quite figure out what is it. And that means they don't own that tool. They can't use it. And that's really what I've tried to do with all of our Solus courses is not just help you pass a test, but to empower you to be able to use the knowledge to accomplish whatever you want in your lives. Well, that's all of the preaching we have time for, <laughs> as Johnny would say. So we'll turn back to Vijay. Do we have an answer yet? Well, we have a few answers. Okay, let's see if we got the right one. Metallic aluminum readily dissolves in hydrochloric acid, releasing hydrogen gas and generating considerable heat. Yes, but it can't be electrolyzed when it's uh, reacted in that manner, unfortunately. So that still isn't going to make us be able to produce it. How about and this by one? the way, well, the, the thing is, we're not trying to find something to dissolve aluminum. If we had pure aluminum, then we wouldn't need to make pure aluminum. The problem is all we have is the aluminum oxide. So we've got to dissolve the aluminum oxide so that we can make the aluminum, okay? Dissolving it and, uh, you know, I should know how to say this word. How do you say it? This word. I don't know. <laughs> I don't speak English. It's, a, it's a element. Hmm. Hmm. The M element. Hmm. The M element. Yes. Melamine? No. Nope. That's not it. So they dissolved in the M oxide inside a platinum crucible and heat it to about 2100 degrees Fahrenheit. And that is exactly how they made aluminum before this invention. They would literally wow. heat it extremely hot and then they could electrolyze it, but it was very expensive. And then someone figured out how you could dissolve it in something and bring that weight down. We'll talk more about it. I don't All think right. we'll get into it tonight. But it's one of those breakthroughs that has always been very intriguing to me. And it might be like the breakthrough that you have in your Science for Projects. I don't know that very many of you are going to change the world with your Science for a Project this year. But I believe that everyone that gets into a serious Science for a Project is going to change your ability to impact the world around you. And that's why I'm so excited about it. Uh, we, it, it's time to get serious about a science for a project if you're going to do it. It's coming fast, and there's just the right amount of time. You need to have a question that you want to have an answer to. And my question tonight is, how can we produce economical aluminum? Someone's already answered it, so I can look it up and learn from their breakthrough. But what question do you have, and what question do you want to solve, and how are you going to go about doing it? You don't have to revolutionize the world with your question to have your science for a project be a success. You just need to learn how this scientific process works. You've got to have a question if you're going to use the scientific method. Then you can start coming up with your hypotheses, where you start making educated guesses on what the answer is, or how you can accomplish the thing that your question points to. And then you get the part that I really like, you get to create the experiments. 
which give you the ability to see whether you were right or wrong. And uh, I'd like to get into those three steps a little bit more with some examples and detail because it really is fun. The scientific method is a wonderful tool for acquiring knowledge. And whether you realize it or not, uh, those of you that are seeing more success in learning on a cellus than you have with other things you've tried should know that the reason that it's more effective is because we really made a science of making it more effective. We studied how students responded on different ways of teaching and different ways of memorizing. And little by little by little, we were able to make it better. Um, some of you are very good writers. In fact, I'm really surprised at the quality of the writing that some of you are turning in. You're amazing writers. Uh, others still need to develop writing skills. Writing skills are very important for every student. And yet, it's been one of the hardest things for us to teach with an online course. And so we've been working very hard on this. Some of you have been working very, very hard on this. There he is. And as a result, we now have a new critter that is just about ready to be launched on Acellus, which we're, we're going to call the Writing Tutor. And you're going to love the Writing Tutor. It's going to really, really make a difference. Well, that's where we had a problem. That's where we came up with some ideas, some hypotheses. We tried a lot of things. We did a lot of experiments, and we finally have developed something that is going to be way amazing. Soon I hope to be able to show you that and introduce it. Uh, well, keep up the, uh, the good science. Don't let anybody get under your skin and hurt your feelings. Just realize that uh, no matter what happens, day or night, sunny or rainy in your lives, one thing's always true. AJ still loves you. <laughs> I do. I do. That's right? true. And uh, try out her new class. I think you're going to really like it. Okay. I think this helps because we have quite a few students who are struggling with coming up with a science fair project. And if it's a simple thing, um, it's... Does oxygen help keep critters alive? Yeah. It's a really, really simple project. Really an interesting thing to do. There are so many projects. Could be, we could do a dozen projects with this drill mm -hmm. because it's blue. <laughs> a shout out to all the grandmas who like cobalt out there. There's a few of them. <laughs> yep. yep. No, we're not promoting a brand. We're promoting a color. I know, but they're coming in. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. It's recognizable. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for being with us tonight. We'll see you next week. Mm -hmm. Good night. Thank you all for being here. We'll see you next week. Thanks.